Hey, beloved, I am so happy you found this community and I want you to know you belong here. Welcome to the Own Your Intuition podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Rich. I'm an international intuitive soul reader, psychic medium, herbalist, energy medicine practitioner, and educator. I work with people all over the world with my online events, courses, retreats, and my bespoke one-on-one intuitive readings and mentorships. I want to empower you and educate you to trust yourself and own your intuition so you can truly step into your power and really own your gifts as a self-healer. You can schedule your next session with me or register for an upcoming event, course, or retreat at my website, kellyrichintuitive.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at kellyrichintuitive. Hey, welcome. My guest this week is Gabby Barboza, someone I met within the last few few years and I instantly felt her warm kind heart and I am just so very honored to get to share her with you on own your intuition and she's known as a nurse and soon to be holistic nutritionist and is the founder of lively and well a business that focuses on how to connect back to yourself beyond the wellness noise mm, powerful I really felt it was appropriate to share this conversation with you after the last two weeks of me sharing my experience with the medical community. And to be honest, what I've shared with you is a fraction of my experience with the medical field, the medical community, both in Western and Eastern medicine. And I also shared with you the pain, some of it, that I've experienced in the past that has been dismissed over and over and over again, historically speaking. And overall, you know, my experience with learning to be a really strong and fierce (laughs) advocate for myself when I knew in my bones and in my heart that something wasn't quite right. And today we will talk about the power of our belief systems and our own personal belief in our healing process. You know, what to do when you feel silenced or pushed to the side when sharing how you feel with others and even your healthcare professionals that you hire, right? You hire your healthcare professionals. And maybe you have never experienced this. Maybe you've just heard of someone that you love experiencing this, right? So I feel like even if this doesn't relate to you personally, I can almost guarantee you that there is someone you love in your life that has experienced this. We also talk about the very real and tragic issue of women sharing their experience with pain and hearing that there is or nothing, you know, historically speaking, that could be done or that can be done. We also talk about the fact that black women are dismissed far more than white women in healthcare settings. This is a powerful episode. And again, it may be helpful for you personally. And if not, it's very likely there is someone in your life that may need this message and you may be the conduit or the messenger for them to receive this information. I ask that you listen to this episode and if you get something from it, that you share it with your loved ones. Enjoy. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the Own Your Intuition podcast. So excited to have you here. I've been really looking forward to this time with you. Hi, Kelly. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Of course. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and, and let them know who you are or anything, anything about yourself and your work that you, you want to relay to everyone? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Gabby Barboza and I am currently a nurse and I also am in school for holistic nutrition. And so um, my path really has led me down the holistic route through my own um, story and just feeling super passionate about helping um, people feel like they're thriving. Um, and, And so that's really where uh, my journey is going. But um, yeah, I grew, I was born in California, but I grew up in Maine and I'm here for now and just seeing, I'm very much in a transition period. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) I love how you mentioned the language of thriving. And I feel like that is so important right now with healthcare and with like the whole wellness realm. And I know for me and my experience, I didn't realize I wasn't thriving until I started to actually feel like I was thriving or like get glimpses of what that actually tastes like. And it's kind of where I feel like we're going to go with our conversation today in so many <laughs> different ways. Um, but our, we were, when we were talking recently through email, it kind of went back and forth on this concept of believing that we need to heal before we can actually heal or that we need to have some kind of trust in ourselves that we can heal before we can actually do that. And I feel like it's, we could just swap out the word heal for thrive too. That for me, and until I really believed that I could, again, I, I use the language or the verbiage of tasting the concept of thriving because I'm not sure we can always be in a place of thriving because we're cyclical in nature. It's the same thing with balance. It's like, do we ever really reach balance or do we just taste it? And then we're kind of swung on the pendulum again, back and forth and that we do our work on all levels of our being. So we can kind of swing back and taste the balance before we're on the other side again. So I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this and your feelings on this. Yeah. The, the fact that you just brought up balance in general, that's always a word that I've had a hard time with because I'm like, do we ever, like, are we ever balanced? Is that something that we need to like pressure ourselves to find balance or are we just never balanced and we can figure out ways to feel like we're thriving even when we're not balanced necessarily. And yeah, I agree. Um, you're probably not going to feel like you're thriving all of the time. And it's, it's being able to tune into your body and say, and, and you don't necessarily, I think a lot of people in this space um, try to find answers for every every symptom and answers for everything they're feeling. And sometimes your body just needs you to recognize, like, this is how I'm feeling right now. I don't need to seek all the answers right this second. Like, I can just ride this out and see, okay, do I still feel this way tomorrow? Or was this just something that my body is going through and cyclical exactly? Um so in order to get to that space, it's, I, in my opinion, it is a hundred percent having the belief and the true belief, not just like 
I am healed. Like the affirmation, like I am healed. Like, yes, that's helpful. But also do I believe that? Like, do I, and you might not believe it the first 10 times you say it, that I can heal and I can a hundred percent feel better than what I feel right now. Um, but the more you say it and the more you truly believe it, I think the body listens and the body follows suit. Um, it's, it's basically like the idea of, um, even a lot of people in this space think like, okay, like, um, there's a saying like all disease, I think Hippocrates, all disease begins in the gut, but I believe all disease begins in the spirit and then it manifests in the gut. So it's like, what is happening emotionally? I mean, we can get into like trauma and all of that, but what's happening there that is then manifesting with symptoms, um, and so you hear of all these people that like smoke until they're a hundred and they, they feel great and they live forever. And it's like, well, what was their spirit like? Like was their spirit thriving? And so their body was able to handle these things. Um, so yeah, the belief in the body healing, I think is number one. Um, and that will be a huge part of what I do when I work with people is starting there. I love that so much. I feel like you just shared in a different way what I've always kind of felt to be true. And you're right. That saying of like all disease begins in the gut. I do find truth in that. I mean, the the science, you know, like reading the science and the literature and, and the research around it and just looking at people and human beings and their experiences and then asking them the question of like, what's your digestion like? There can be so, there can be so much revealed. However, I do believe, you know, with a the studies that I've been doing with a, a shaman for the past little while now, we really kind of went headfirst into this topic of all imbalance really begins at the root of the spirit and the soul on the soul level. And this question, I, I see it kind of floating around Instagram and social media a lot of, you know, when's the last time you danced? When was the last time you sang? When was the last? These questions really come from different lineages of healing and that are really rooted in accessing the soul. And, you know, this question for everyone listening, like when is the last time you danced? And when you can look at that, maybe there's information there for you. Like what happened around that time? Why did you stop? And that's just one entry point. It's not the way it can be one entry point. And we can start asking ourselves, I feel like more questions around, did I sit with my soul today? When is the last time I let my heart speak? When is the last time? And you're right. Like I had a, somebody, a distance family friend, relative that, She smoked her entire life. And I I think she died at like 98 or 99. And she, I mean, she smoked inside. Like she barely (laughs) left her home. Like she sat in the same chair every day, all day, like didn't exercise, drank soda. And she was happy Mm -hmm. from the most part. I mean, from the outside, (laughs) like looking at her, she was happy and she's the person I just thought of, as you said that, like with smokers, you know, well, what was their soul like or what was their spirit like? And I recently in the past year, I can't remember when it was, I was in the shower where I often get a lot of downloads 
And this song came to me and I've been singing it ever since. And it is along the lines of the body healing itself. And the the language, for those of you who have, know the song, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it right now. Um, <laughs> but it really, like now sitting, having sat with it for a few months, really was like retraining my brain to catch up with my body and retraining my brain to catch up with my soul because there was such a like discombobulation. Like I felt like one was over here and one was up here and one was trying to self-sabotage the other. And and the other thing that you shared that that rings true is, and I talk a lot about this on here, is like trusting the great mystery when it comes to changes and trying to find balance in the body. I know for me, I tend to freak out. Like my initial response is to freak out when I have a new symptom or I'm uncomfortable. I immediately want an answer. And I'm wondering if you would like to talk about this in regards to trauma or if you see in your line of work how trauma in the body, in the mind, in a person's being, someone that has experienced some levels of trauma. And do you find a correlation with not trusting the body um, and or allowing oneself to soften kind of in the great mystery, the unknown, I, I believe is what you said, like just being okay, not knowing and letting the pendulum swing? Yeah, 100%. Trauma in the body, and and you mentioned too, um, like the pathways, neural pathways are a huge part that some people have really dived into um, on when, like, okay, say I'm, I was drinking orange juice as a kid one day, and I had an extremely traumatic event, like as I'm drinking that juice, like orange juice might show up as a food intolerance later, like literally through blood work can show up like as a food intolerance. And if you think about it, you're like, wow, I, when I found out that I'm going to go to something really traumatic, but when I found out that this, my grandmother died, I was drinking orange juice. Mm -hmm. So like, if you can start to put those pieces together and then retrain your brain, there's actually a whole system on retraining the brain, um, on, thank you, like saying thank you to your body, thank you to your mind and your soul for reminding you that you might be in danger. Like, thank you for reminding me, but I I no longer need that protection around this anymore. I no longer need you to give me a, a big stomach ache or make this something really uncomfortable anymore. Like I'm safe now. Um, and And so it can be linked to physical things, but if we're not in touch with the root of that, then we might just go down this huge physical route, which it can be really helpful on treating the symptoms. But again, like in naturopathic medicine, like our goal is to treat the root. So if the root is that trauma, then it's really trauma work that you need and maybe therapy and things like that, retraining the brain versus all. And like, as a future nutritionist, like this is like, something that maybe people don't want to talk about because they're like, no, we need to figure out like why. But, but it's really, if then we're just looking at all the symptoms again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, absolutely. The trauma and just being able to listen and knowing um, this is where I find 
a health journal. I actually very recently just started doing this is just writing down every day symptoms that I'm feeling and being able to notice the, um, the patterns and okay. Like if it is continuing, maybe this is something that I need to explore further, but maybe I'm just feeling this way for one day or people that cycle in their bodies, like, um, cycling bodies, maybe this is always before my period. So this is always how I feel. And I can remember like, okay, I always feel a little sad before my period. This is, this is likely not going to be here forever. Um, And then, so instead of our brain, like going down this rabbit hole, it's like, okay, I usually feel this way around this time of my cycle. And um, yes, there are definitely things I can do to reduce PMS, but also um, I'm not going to be this way for the next month. And if I am, then of course, like get intervention, but just a reminder. Yeah. I just felt my body take a sigh. I need to, I need, I personally need to remind myself that this too shall pass Mm -hmm. and that what I'm experiencing is cyclical for the most part. And I can kind of get caught in that time loop where discomfort comes and I get stuck in it where I'm like, is this ever going to pass? And then the anxiety comes and Mm -hmm. and I feel like it has something to do with being a very deeply sensitive person where I feel like I feel things on such a deep level that yes, it's a blessing, but it's also work. And it's also not how a lot of people and who are closest to me in my life experience life. So I have to consciously remind myself that I'm, I'm different and that it's okay to have different needs to also support myself. And I feel like a lot of people who are listening are deeply sensitive to where they do and I need to have that retraining of like, yeah, this is cyclical. And I feel like that journal that you're talking about and just writing down, even if it's a sentence or a exactly. couple words, like a couple adjectives of how you're feeling each day can give insight. And for those who do experience a cycle, um, a, a menstrual cycle, men's hormones have a 24-hour cycle. Yes. And then women's hormones cycle with the moon. So it's every 28 days. So it's like, whoa, you've got these two very different needs. And who's talking about this? I mean, I just, I feel like I learned this in undergrad, but then totally forgot about it because it was like, why do I need to know this? I didn't probably because I didn't really understand what it meant. And then I heard it not too long ago. And I was like, duh, this makes so much sense, but it's not in the mainstream. And I don't feel like, or most of us aren't properly educated on listening to our bodies, needing, needing to believe that we can heal. And I feel like that comes with trust. And if we don't trust ourselves, then, then, then how do we actually get there? Yeah. And trusting that our bodies are doing like exactly what they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. And like, this is actually, once you view the cycle and women, especially once you view the cycle as like this beautiful thing, then you're more appreciative of when, of, of learning, okay, like this time in my cycle, it's time to draw in, it's time to get my to-do list done. I'm actually feeling a little better. Like actually for me right now, this is a great time to be doing a podcast interview because I'm around ovulation. And so like, it's very like, 
you're more outward, you want to do more, you want to speak more, you feel more confident, like all of that. Um, and it's really tuning in can, a lot of people will view, yeah, it's really frustrating. Like I would love to be able to have a 24 hour like cycle where my testosterone is really high in the morning and then it dips a little bit. And then like, it's just really simple, but also like our cycle is really beautiful. And then I wanted to, um, jump back into a circle back on the joy aspect. I, I didn't mention, I didn't piggyback off of that, but I think that part is huge. Um, if I can use a personal share, I have, um, for the per- first time since college or even high school have been experiencing depression, uh, in the, in like the last four months or so. And I've had some events that like would definitely lead me there, but, I last weekend, I live alone. And last weekend, I was um, visiting my boyfriend and and we had some friends that we were hanging out with. And the next day I woke up and I had laughed a ton that like the next day I woke up and I felt so much better. Nothing was different. Nothing was different. Like I ate the same. I worked out the same. I slept the same. But just the joy that I experienced, I was like, that's what I'm missing. I'm missing community. So yeah, the joy and like laughing and like, I've been making myself sing really loudly in the car and like just all (laughs) things like that are like, we, we don't think they're that big of a deal, but they very much are. Singing for me has become such a surprise, a surprise of how much joy and healing I feel when I'm not singing to perform, but singing to heal, really. Mm-hmm. And to just let energy move through me in a way that is different than like working out or going for a walk or cooking, like those kind of same things that I do frequently where singing, I shut down for so long and never allowed my voice to be heard outside of like low tone in the shower. Cause I didn't even want like <laughs> the person I lived with knowing that I was singing in the shower. And now it's like, I'm singing in front of people in ceremonies and watching and, and, and learning from other people too, when they share their experience of what it felt like to sing, even though we couldn't hear them has been so enlightening in ways and realizing that I'm not alone. And that actually there is a little bit of this like universal, holding back when it comes to singing. And I feel like that is an en- another entry point, right? It's not the way. I feel like I've already said this with another aspect on the show today, but it's it's a way. And we can explore all these different ways of joy, right? Using your language of like, oh, that feeling, right? And can we hold, we can't like hold that feeling. It's not tangible. And for some people like singing might not be for them, but laughing probably is mm-hmm. <laughs> right that is that universal language and that emotion that I know I recently was in a depressed state um, the past year and I binged watched Eddie Murphy and Dave Chappelle <laughs> and it was it was very similar where it was like <laughs> I feel so different Like there's no denying that I feel different after this, even though I was laying horizontal all day long, my mind and my spirit and like every part of me felt 
lighter. And sometimes in, in there's been, there's always like waves and I'm sure you see them too in your line of work. Like you might have three people in one day with all the same symptoms or like the same thing that they're working through. And there are definitely waves of people not letting themselves feel joy or, and, or not taking the time nor the space to play. And I feel like there is this thirst for play in adults in this day and age. And I don't think the pandemic has really helped with our, you know, social distancing and being on screens and I'm resonating with all of it. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, especially right now when we're, Mm -hmm. when there's so much fear, so fear. And like, if we look at it on a, on the scale of frequencies, like shame is at the very bottom and then fear is pretty close. So like living in that, it totally hijacks your your spirit. And then if we go back to the spirit as the root of disease and depression and all of that, then then it's all a full circle. I wanted to add, add I feel like this is kind of all tying in with the next concept I wanted to introduce mm-hmm. into our conversation is we'll go back a little bit. We were talking about like trust and healing ourselves. And I feel like trust is such a, a big component, whether it's trusting ourselves or our healthcare practitioners or both. Um, I see them being crucial eventually on the journey of healing. And, but do you have advice for people for when they're working with someone, whether it's someone in healthcare profession or therapist and if, and when they experience being silenced or kind of pushed to the side or no, you're making that up or no, you're, you're fine. Or, well, we don't have anything that we can do for you. And in my experience in the last like 15 years, I've, I've had that more often than not, especially in um, like Western medicine, healthcare settings. And that I don't want to blame those people or those experiences, but they definitely contributed to me not trusting myself or my body and brought up a lot of shame, right? That frequency and vibration of Mm -hmm. shame. And my intuition was always telling me that something wasn't right and that it was well beyond like what meditation or sitting with myself um, or a bunch of kale could do. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm just wondering if you have if you have advice for people who might be experiencing this right now. Yeah, it's so common and I think to your point of not blaming them there's a the western model they're taught in a very specific way and if they don't have the tools to and the time because if you if you're usually in there for like 15 20 minutes so if they don't have the time or the tools then um it's either, okay, I'm going to send you to a specialist that you might not need, or I just, I don't know. So you're probably making it up because I've never heard of this before. And so I want to remind people to always remember that you are hiring your doctor or your practitioner, whether or not insurance is paying for it or not. So like a lot of us grew up where you just go to the doctor, you pay like $20 copay and you are looking to your doctor as the no, like they should know everything and they should be able to give you something. Um, but they're working for you. 
Like they, so you can 100% and, and sometimes this is very privileged as like holistic medicine can be more expensive. Um, but even within the Western model, you can change doctors and it might feel a little awkward, but you have the power to trust yourself. And you can usually tell, I would say you can usually tell in the first appointment, some people aren't as, um, intuitive and and they just have this belief that their doctor should know and so that's why they they put their own feelings of the the practitioner like I must just be thinking this for no reason um but just trust yourself that's like the biggest advice trust yourself and if you need to find a new practitioner do it um right away because you should know by like the first or second appointment you should have that feeling the gut feeling Yeah. And I feel like there are so many people who are like, well, how do I do that? You know, like, how do I trust myself when I've been taught that the person in the white coat knows more than I do about my own body? And I do feel like this is a, there's definitely a change happening and people are waking up, particularly with Western medicine. And I grew up very privileged in the sense, you know, I had great health care. I never really had to worry about going to the doctors when I was younger and a child. And I would go visit my mom and there would be all this food. And I'm like, whoa, she's like, yeah, help yourself, like sandwich, like just spreads of food. And then I started to ask questions. Where's this food coming from? oh, this pharmaceutical rep, this pharmaceutical rep, this pharmaceutical rep. And then I asked more questions. Okay, well, why are pharmaceutical reps bringing you that food? Like what, what is really like genuinely like why? And, you know, I, my mom truthfully told me like, well, they want us to use their prescription. They want us to give certain prescriptions and give certain drugs. And that to me was so mind-boggling because if you're being bribed like you're essentially being bribed to take on certain quote-unquote tools to help people to heal that to me feels so disingenuine and removed from this process of trust especially when it comes to doctor and patient or healthcare professional and patient or client, it starts to get blurry for me. And I'm not really sure. I can only just speak from an outsider because I, I'm not a licensed healthcare practitioner is that it, it just feels a little murky. And I'm not quite sure that the mind or the biases biases of the mind could completely disconnect from something like that where, oh, you're going to make X amount of money to pay your bills and feed your children if you take on these pharmaceuticals. And that to me, and then, and then coupled with the seven minute sessions, like I think you said like 15 or 30, I remember having literally seven minutes or less with my doctor many, many, many times. And all they asked me was, what are your symptoms? And then they'd come up with something and it's like, are you even looking at who I am as an individual? You're, you're not. And I, I want to just say there are probably a lot of people cringing right now hearing me say this. I do not think that Western medicine is evil. I think that the there are many dark spots and holes and missing puzzle pieces. However, I am very grateful 
to have my PCP who is a Western, trained in Western medicine. I also think that we run to surgery without addressing other things first. We choose the most invasive as a country, as a collective. We choose the most invasive procedures and before the least. And to me, that goes back to really one of the oaths that doctors take of do no harm. So I just, I get confused on this, even as an, like an individual and hearing experiences from friends, friends and family of like, well, how can we trust ourselves if our doctors don't even really know how to trust their own studies? And that that's where I get like a little bit skeptical. And the skepticism I feel like is healthy, no matter if it's a naturopath, an osteopath, an acupuncturist. Like I'm not just saying it's Western medicine. I'm saying all healthcare professionals, but Western medicine is what really woke me up into this kind of topic of like, well, I need to trust my intuition before I let someone who really doesn't know me make decisions for me first. And I'm wondering if you, if you've had any experiences like this and if you have any thoughts about where our healthcare system is going in this country. Yeah, so that's the reason that I sought out naturopathic medicine myself. Mm -hmm. In college, I was having just crazy symptoms, and I went to a doctor, and they said, "Oh, you just have IBS." Oh, you like I went to a gastroenterologist to make sure there was nothing structural going on, like nothing blocking, because it's maybe TMI for some people. But I had extreme constipation, and so. I was like, there has to be, like, I wanted to make sure that nothing crazy was going on. And when it, when it wasn't, you just have IBS, which means I don't know what's wrong. Like IBS means IDK because it's like, I just don't know. And, and they just don't have the tools to know. I think it's getting a lot better. And so what I see and what I hope for is that Western medicine and naturopathic medicine, Eastern, um, can really come together. And so it's definitely, I'm seeing it. Um, I work for Dr. Karina Dunlap and she works with other practitioners and doctors, Western or not all of the time. And so it's definitely happening, which is really exciting. And there are so many Western doctors that are frustrated in their own system. They just don't, they have, they're so busy that they can't do much about it. And so they don't even want to be doing this. Um, And then the pharmaceutical point, it's so crazy. It's like, um, instead of coming with testimonials and studies on the medicine and saying, this is what is working. It's yeah. Like take the sandwich. And now in your mind, I've kind of, I've implanted something that I am good. And so you should use this drug now when there's so many studies, like, I think we talked uh, before uh, over email and, and just talking about um, this episode and just the idea of pain. And so pain that so many women experience um, often, if it's not something like I worked in the ER. And so I have so much respect for, for exactly like you said, the Western model and, and we need emergency care. We need surgery. We need all of these things. But when we've exhausted our resources in that way, we often turn to naturopathic medicine when really that could be the first thing we do. Um, And so things like fibromyalgia is often diagnosed to women, especially, and the treatment for that 
and I'm not saying every doctor's treatment for this, but a conventional treatment for that is pain medication and antidepressants. And so instead of looking at maybe this pain is actually, it's not the it's not the depression that's causing the pain. It's the pain that's causing the depression. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in pain every day, how am I supposed to feel happy and joyful and excited for life? Um, and so it's kind of this, like if we can look at the opposite way of thinking, then it's like, okay, what is the pain coming from? And is it just fibromyalgia or is there something else that we're missing here? Uh, and period pain too. Like if there isn't an obvious cause, like a fibroid or or something, then it's just like, well, you know, everyone has period pain. Like you just got to deal with it. And it's like, no, it's not normal. Like we shouldn't, we should know our period is here, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in the fetal position every month. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can take some time, like even in naturopathic medicine, especially holistic healing um, can take time because you have to think about, there's a saying of for the amount of years that you were feeling this way, like add, for, healing will take give or take a month for every year that you felt this way. And mm-hmm. so having the trust again, going back to the trust that, I am healing from the inside out. And so I trust my body will start adapting when it feels safe to do so. If you are looking to take the podcast to the next level and really walk your talk of owning your intuition, join me for the Own Your Intuition online retreat. Once you are registered, you receive instant access to this unique offering for 60 days You'll learn ways to connect to your intuition, expand your light body, and tap into your gifts, as well as learn tools to protect your energy as a powerful self-healer and empath. There are eight sessions as well as a welcome letter and supplemental PDFs to guide you along your powerful journey. You can head to the show notes to register today for access or head to kellyrichintuitive.com because owning your intuition is a journey, not a destination. And you don't have to do this alone. You know, you're talking about fibromyalgia and pain and depression and how actually the pain might be, or even anxiety too. We could, we could mm-hmm. um, even kind of put them together and separate them um, when it comes to pain and I really am called to go back to the beginning of our conversation of where's the question of the soul and what is going on on a soul level when someone is experiencing even the diagnosis of IDK (laughs) or (laughs) IBS or um, fibromyalgia or period pain and what what's there and that's where I feel like I come in you know again I'm not a licensed healthcare professional but I do believe in the power of my work of, of getting to that soul level. But I feel like when we pull one string, like even when we pull like the diet string or the sleep string, the, the physical string, the mental string, the spiritual string, all the other ones are pulled too because they're all connected. So I feel like when, and I can speak from my own experience that when I exhausted okay, I did all this for my physical body. I've did all this for my mental body. I've done all like, and for my men- my emotional body and nothing is changing. It was when I started to really look on a soul level and heal on that deep 
kind of spiritual level that other things started to be illuminated on the physical level and in the mental level. And I really do feel like women are taught to deal with pain. Our society, the patriarchy, literally tells women to just deal with your pain. And if you have it, it must not be that bad. And if it is that bad, let's just remove the uterus or let's just remove the hand or let's just give you the drugs and your brain will be better. You won't feel depressed anymore. It can't be that bad. But if it is, let us go to the most extreme and let us just remove it. Let's just like take it away, throw it away. And that to me is, is extraordinarily damaging, not just to our psyche, but to the healing process as a whole. We kind of skip the process because I don't sort of like um, how what I'm seeing like visually right now in my mind's eye is when the phantom limb thing, like if when someone loses a limb, yeah. they can still feel it. And that people have actually had energy work done on those lost limbs, even though it's not there, but they're working in their energy body and that it's actually shifted things in their body that they still kind of carry with and around that to me shows how just removing something, whether it's an organ or a limb or, or masking something with something else doesn't really get to the root. It just doesn't. It's, it, it, it doesn't. And it doesn't mean that also if you have had like a hysterectomy or a limb removed or, or, or on medication that it's wrong or that you shouldn't have. But I feel like it's not the pathway for every body and for some bodies and some people it is but I feel like we're just so pushed in that direction so many times and I know that black women through research and 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 reading and just hearing experiences are silenced even more than white women or or people who look white and may not even be and it's really just based on what they look like and truly the color of their skin and I'm wondering if you'll talk about this too. Yeah. So the whole thing around black women being dismissed more is it's truly heartbreaking. It's, it's, and a lot of people think like, well, that would never, I would never do that. I would never dismiss. Like if we're just thinking about like, like I'm going to use the example of me as a nurse in the hospital, I'm taking care of people. I have a black um, woman as a patient and I would say, oh, I would never do that. And I, I'm a mixed race woman, but I'm extremely white passing. And so like a lot of black people know that I'm black, but a lot of white people think that maybe I'm Hispanic or something. And so I come up from a place that, um, it has, I have not experienced, um, everything that a, someone with darker skin than me has experienced, but I'm very aware of it. And so, we, there's a term called implicit bias, and it's just the the idea is that um, certain things are a certain way. So black women, there's this idea that um, culturally they and we literally get taught this in school. So cold, and I don't. I'm hoping it's changed, but when I was in school, we got taught that culturally some cultures express pain a lot louder than others, and so when we, so if we have that idea in our mind from school, people we trust, teachers that are teaching us, um, when we have a black patient or Hispanic patient and they are screaming and the first thing in our mind might be like, well, they're probably just culturally expressing, like they're just, 
being louder because in their culture, they are quote unquote more dramatic when they have pain or this and this. And so we don't treat them the same as if a white woman was screaming, we would be running in that room and giving them whatever they needed. Um, And so it's not necessarily that you, um, these people are like the practitioners are racist or, and there might be a hundred percent racism and all of that. It's just this bias because this is what you've been taught. And this is how you grew up thinking that cultural things like this are always true and they're blanketed for everyone. And so you just treat people differently. And, um, and then it goes back to systemically, like, we were talking about the found the father of gynecology was experimenting on enslaved black women without pain medication, without pain relief. And, and also you brought to me too, the, the studies of medical students thinking that black people have um, less sensitive nerve endings, that black people have thicker skin, that um, they're just not as they don't need pain medication as much because they have thicker skin. And what does that go back to? Does that go back to slavery and the fact that they had to endure this pain? They didn't have a choice to endure this pain. Um, and where is our bias? And so it's not saying you're a bad person if you've ever thought this way, but it's saying, how can I restructure my mind and that this actually doesn't make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, when I read this information, there his name was John Brown, and I'm not sure if that was like a given name to him or if that's his was his real name. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe he was enslaved, and that there was a physician who tortured him and kind of came to the conclusion conclusion or tried to prove that black skin was thicker. And to me, again, this is just my opinion in this moment, is that maybe it was a way for the white man to feel less guilty about torturing out of millions of black people physically. And I do, you know, I didn't live in this, this era or this time, but perhaps black people were biting their tongues when they were in so much pain as they were tortured because if they were louder then maybe they would be punished more exactly so i do feel like there is so much to unpack there and we are still still seeing it to this day there was something that i found online i actually have it here when they suffer diseases like sickle cell, fibromyalgia, which you mentioned, lupus and endometriosis, a lot of these are um, either misdiagnosed or just don't really understand what's going on so much. And that um, if they don't show that they're in pain, whatever that really, I mean, I think that's different from every point of view like what does someone look like when they're in pain mm-hmm. how do you how, can can you really look at somebody and know how much pain they're in no you you can't it's just it's actually not possible i don't think um unless you're a shapeshifter <laughs> then like email me we can talk um but there is so much judgment particularly with women or people who identify with women but then it even goes up a notch when it comes to black people and black women even more so and if you're crying or if you're moaning i'm reading this from an article i found and 
they often hear the language of like, you're not in that much pain or you're exaggerating or are you really? And um, if they're not showing pain, then they get the message that, well, you're not that sick. So let us know when you are. Yeah, like what's and, the happy medium here? <laughs> yeah, like what, what do you want? And then there was also this bias that if meaning black women had experience of illness or pain, that it was often <laughs> shown as self-inflicted, that they mm-hmm. somehow did something wrong and that they needed to kind of think about well, what did, what did you do wrong today? Or, or was there something else rather than just seeing them for the being that they are and giving them the, the, the care that they needed? And this is really tied into um, gynecology. So pelvic pain disorders and inflammatory disease and that they were actually misdiagnosed more than white women as having pelvic inflammatory disease And interestingly enough, that is typically sexually transmitted. So there was like this hypersexualization going on too. And I feel like we do have a lot of work in the world, not just in this country, um, around healthcare and how we provide healthcare and what does great healthcare mean and, and support mean. Yeah, I think the place that we start is believing people's stories, like mm-hmm. believing them that this is true and this has happened to them. And 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 it's hard to believe sometimes because it's so sad. Um, but just believing people. And I think in general, I'll come back to the pain, but in general, in life, that's just a rule. Like believe people when they say something has happened. And so um coming back to the pain, if we think of Black people and Black women in general who have a history of generational trauma and have a history of like their actual ancestors being enslaved, that and I've talked about this on another podcast before, then it might actually be that they have more pain because they they are carrying this pain from years and years and years that probably hasn't been worked through and released. I think our generation has, is like, I mean, there are a lot of people older than us teaching this, but our generation is really at the forefront of healing generational trauma, in my opinion. So if that's never been worked on and you're told, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you like even people um, like babies, black babies being born now, they're carrying all of this pain. And so maybe we should be treating them even more because they have more pain in general and endometriosis in general, like focusing on specific things, endometriosis takes an average of eight years to diagnose just as a whole. And so if we think about how amplified that is for black women, there's often, again, in school, you're taught that like black people tend to have higher blood pressure, black people tend to have high, a higher amount of fibroids. Um, fibroids are non-cancerous tumors for anyone that doesn't know. And so it can really cause pain. Um, but if we look at it in a different way, is it more just that we've never believed black people? So they've, they've been going untreated for all of for, for something like high blood pressure or, or fibroids, for example, they might their bodies might have given them a sign years ago, but they weren't believed. And so it developed into something worse. And just as going back to, again, I feel like I keep saying that, but it, it's all just adding on to your symptoms are there 
to remind you and as nudges that something is off. And so they start small. And if you don't, if you don't give care to them, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if we're not intervening at that small stage where they're not just lasting a day or two, they're continuing to last and they're just going to knock on the door harder and knock on the door harder. And then they're going to bust in. And that's when we finally have a diagnosis. And so I think it just comes back to belief the first time around. Yeah. Belief around the first time around, but I feel like something that before we end, I want to talk about is really kind of teaching people to, be an advocate for themselves and that if you don't feel heard or if you don't feel like you're getting the care that you deserve as a human being, then you can fire your doctor and not feel guilty about it. There's actually something called HIPAA, which means that if you do fire your doctor, they they can't tell anyone. So do you have any advice or wisdom to share around people being an advocate for themselves and their own health? Yeah. So if you're feeling like you just are at your end with this doctor and they're not listening to you or they just don't have the time, then yeah, 100% and you can move on. And you don't even need to really explain yourself. Like if it's not, sometimes it feels good to be like, you know, like I didn't feel heard and then move on. But sometimes it just, you're not, you can kind of cut that cord on your own and say, and, and that's actually a really good ritual is cord cutting, like Mm -hmm. cutting the cord with practitioners that just didn't work for you and not feeling guilty about it. Um, And so I want to, remind everyone that there are doctors across the nation that take patients. And so you don't just have to look like, okay, who's in my network in Maine or like, who's, who can I see in my area that I have to go in and see a lot of the best doctors don't even need to see you in person. And that sounds kind of crazy because it sounds impersonal, but the exam isn't always necessary, like actual physical exam. And what you can do is keep your PCP, as long as you have an okay relationship, keep your PCP for more of the emergent things. And if you need like a gynecologist, annual breast exam, things like that, and then only utilize them for that specific thing. When it comes to anything that's more chronic symptom-based, all of that, and you don't need them for that, then hiring a practitioner and there and he doesn't even have to just be a doctor there are incredible practitioners out there who are not doctors like traditional doctors um hiring someone that you can really trust to do the rest um so you kind of have the best of both worlds and just reminding yourself that if you feel awful right now this isn't your destiny you don't have to suck it up you shouldn't feel this way you should wake up every day and Obviously, we're talking about like not every day you're going to feel incredible, but you should feel pretty good. And if you don't, you should be able to trust that you can talk to somebody about it. Um, So, yeah, I would say and then coming back to too, like figuring out is this for especially highly sensitive people, I'd have to do this. Like, is this my own pain? Is this somebody else's? And then figuring out what to do from there. Um, and maybe that somebody else's is feeling guilty because you're firing your doctor. But I can probably guarantee you that they're not thinking about it as much as you are. If you think about they're with you for seven minutes. So they're probably not, they're just like, okay, they're probably moved or they probably like, so 
the guilt, I think, yeah, is a huge part. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have any final wisdom or advice or even like healing practices or ritual that is maybe easily accessible to those listening right now that you want to share? Yeah. So uh, I kind of mentioned it, but figuring out, is this my symptom or is this somebody else's I think is, is first on if you're experiencing symptoms and if it's somebody else's doing, you can look up the practice of cord cutting. Um, and I practice Reiki too. So like I, I do this after every session, just completely um, cutting the cord because if not, I'll, I'll take on their session potentially. Um, and so cord cutting. And then if it is yours, um, asking your body what it needs. So does it just need this to be acknowledged or does it need it to be intervened on? And if it needs to be intervened on, then asking, you know, and you might not get clear answers depending on how in tune your body is in the beginning, but asking like, do I need to employ somebody to figure this out with me? Or, or can I probably figure out that I had a ton of alcohol last night? I ate a ton of things that don't usually make me feel good and then be comforted in the fact that, okay, your body is just responding with how you're, you're living right now. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like, it feels really good to be like, okay, this isn't something that I'm going to live with forever. Um, and so that health journal, I know that journaling gets really, um, frustrating sometimes like another thing to add to your to-do list, but like you said, just a, a word or two, just, this is how I'm feeling. And then being able to look back on it, like, okay, I usually feel this way at this time. Uh, I would say those are some free things other than hiring someone, but just quick things you can do. Mm, so lovely. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and your gifts and your time and your energy with all of us. I really appreciate your presence. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. I love um, all of your work and I just resonate so deeply with it. So I'm excited to be here. What an honor to have you a part of this growing global community. Thank you for your loving presence. You can schedule your next one-on-one intuitive reading or mentorship with me or register for an upcoming event, training, or retreat at my website, kellyrichintuitive.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at kellyrichintuitive and both of those links are right in the episode notes. I can't wait to meet you. If you got something from today's show, please support the Own Your Intuition podcast by hitting the subscribe button and write a five-star review. You can also share with your loved ones. Next week, I'll be back with a fresh new episode.